This is Maya Thomas. I am the DSC podcast producer, and I just wanted to give you a quick rundown of DSC as an organisation before we get started. DSC is a team of 33 people across Australia, all working together to bring specialised training and consulting expertise to providers in the disability sector. Our focus is on helping providers to survive and thrive in the NDIS, and our purpose is better outcomes for people with disability. All right, here's what's going to happen now. Hello and welcome to our podcast. We are DSC. Your turn. You're the boss. Disability Disability done done different different. candid conversations. Hope you are ready because we're starting. Hello and welcome to Disability Done Different Candid Conversations. My name is Evie Norfell. I am the host of this program. (laughs) She's not. (laughs) I'm joined in the studio today by my assistant and dad, Roland Norfell. (laughs) (laughs) And our producer, Maya Thomas. Hi. (laughs) And our guest today is Rod Harris. Welcome. Thanks. I think I meant to say welcome. You just got welcomed by the guest. (laughs) Yeah, well, he thinks I'm an assistant, so (laughs) it stands to reason he would welcome me. So, Rod Harris I've known for a very long time, and um, a lot of people have known him for a long time because he's been 25 years CEO of Motor Neurone Disease Victoria, MND Victoria, before that with Paraquad, and he's done some consulting, which he probably doesn't put on his CV because most people don't. So do you want to start again without slagging off consultants? (laughs) Well, I was doing it deliberately. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. You can leave that in as well. <laughs> so we're going to talk to Rod about a, a lot of stuff and principally a lot of interesting stuff. Let's start deep and meaningful, Rod. Mode in your own disease, tell us a, a little bit about it. Well, it's uh, a rotten disease, first yeah. described in the eight, late 1860s by uh, a neurologist called Charcot. And uh, essentially, it's a progressive degenerative neurological condition that takes away your ability to walk, to talk, uh, to breathe and to swallow. Or as I like to describe it, your ability, you lose your ability to hug, to hold, to kiss and caress. It uh, is terminal. It has an average life expectancy of about 27 months post-diagnosis. And uh, it's a series of losses. Uh, People lose their ability to do various things that we all take for granted, walking, as I said, talking. Uh, You wouldn't be sitting here participating in this discussion uh, if you've had motor neurone disease for many, many months. But the progression of loss is uh, continual and carers and family members are experiencing grief at every loss as the person declines in their capacity. Well, you did want to go deep fast. I did, we did. So there's a fairly popular study that says that when somebody acquires a disability and somebody wins the lottery, about a year later, they're both about as happy as they were before that happened. It sounds like that doesn't happen in MND because of the way that it changes. No, I don't think that that's right. I think what happens is with MND, as people are adjusting and acclimatising to their losses, they actually find new and different meaning in their lives and they they uh, gain greater value from some of the simpler things mm. in life that they're still able to engage with and enjoy um, I, I think that uh, you know any loss actually uh, helps you appreciate what remains and so it's about you know that quality of life as you are living it, not what what was it or what might it be, but it's about today, living today. So I, I, I don't want to get too woo-woo, but 
I've, I've dealt a bit at the fringes of palliative care and people dying as well. And I've found a number of the people who work in palliative care are just amongst the most wonderful people I've ever met. And do you think that's because the sector attracts those people? Or do you think the experience of being around so much um, grief and death is a really positive personal experience? Um, yeah, well, I think it's both. I, I think that people who seek out uh, roles in palliative care, and my wife works for a palliative care provider, um, want to do that work. There's a spiritual, psychological, physical benefit of of working in an area that you want to work in. But I think also people learn about themselves and about others and so grow in that role and become more positive about the work that they're doing. Uh, Look, I have my criticisms of palliative care. Um, Often uh, people continue to talk about it as an end-of-life service and I'm working hard to try and change that to a quality of life service. People have got to be able to live well until they die, as I said before. They People want to live well until they die. And I think as palliative care is refocusing itself and it is now starting to, to talk about living well, so we're going to get more people engaged in palliative care. But uh, as to whether it attracts or creates people, I think it does both. And you're old enough to remember the slogan after the Whitlam government got sacked, which was, maintain the rage. And in my dealings with you over the years, you've been angry with me more than a couple of times. So anger has formed part of your persona? Or is it part of your way of coping? Is it your advocacy? Is it... Talk to us about anger. <laughs> Why are you so mad all the time? <laughs> my anger is a part of the bag of tricks that I need to use to convey the importance of what I'm trying to say. Uh-huh. Uh, you and others have heard me stand up at a lot of conferences recently talking about the fact that our, our national disability organisation has abandoned people over the age of 65. And I will keep expressing outrage and rage about that because it's not all about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Some people acquire disability over the age of 65, and where are they going? Quick, what are they supported by? Quick background to Evie, what's Rod talking about? Uh, that NDIS participants need to be aged under 65 at the time that they become an NDIS participant. Otherwise they have to become part of the aged care system. So and so aged care has currently 126,000 people waiting for places. Well, help me with this one too, Rod, that we... The largest home that we currently think is okay for people with disability is five, and there's a lot of movement saying that's an institution, it's too big. When I was working in in aged care, we were building 120-bed nursing homes, institutions. It always um, strikes me that the young people in nursing homes movement, which I have a huge amount of time for, says we should not have young people in nursing homes because they're horrible places that institutionalise people. We should have old people in nursing homes that are horrible places that institutionalise people. How can we work with such a divide in our attitudes towards one group of people up to 65 and then post-65? Well, I think partially it's because of the way we've always divided money and responsibility in mm-hmm. government. Uh, states looked after people with disability, supposedly, yeah. and the Commonwealth looked after the, uh, the aged. Um, the introduction of the NDIS and the uh, COAG agreements separating responsibility failed to take account of 
people who with, were uh, living with disability who were in aged care services, and there were many, and it, but it also failed to take into account that not all people who acquire a disability over the age of 65 are frail and demented. Some of them are still active members of the community and unfortunately they have a disability. If there's no question about do you need assistive technology to access your community and your support groups? You know, if we want people to live longer at home, whether they have a disability or when they have a disability and they're older, we've got to help them maintain the relationships that they've always had within their community and their friendship circles and their activity circles. Do you, do you have any frameworks? Are you a fan of you know, circles of support or is there anything that you could recommend to people who are trying to understand what you're talking about and trying to do it better? I think circles of support work for some people. Uh-huh. I think the NDIS has actually hit the nail on the head to the extent that it talks about uh, addressing unmet needs created by disability. And we should be looking at that for aged care as well. What are the needs of a person who wants to stay in their home for longer at whatever age, 80, 90, doesn't really matter. What do they need to support that? And can we deliver it? I think aged care is doomed in, in terms of the fact that the, the aged care budget and the number of people it supports is purely a calculation. Dollars divided by numbers of people equals an amount of money. Yeah. Whereas the NDIS has actually projected a budget based on assessed need and how much it will cost to address that need and what's reasonable and necessary. I, I'm a strong supporter of reasonable and necessary. necessary. With the NDIS, we've heard um, from other people that the complex people with higher and more complex needs are really missing out. Now, some of the people that, with whom you work would surely fit that category. Is that what you're saying? Well... I would first say that people with MND have never been as well off as they are under the NDIS. Okay. We have more clients receiving more services than they would have ever received under the old state-funded packages of, of care. Uh-huh. What I would say is that the creation of the NDIS has been built around everybody being the same. And unfortunately, people aren't all the same. Mm-hmm. And there are people with different needs. MEDs one with rapid rapid progression um, and ending in death. There are many others who need to have a different stream of assessment and evaluation and planning to make sure that they get the services that they need. It's not like funding a day program at X dollars or a swimming class for Y dollars or an accommodation support where you can just put that in place and it addresses the needs of a whole range of people. We've been very successful, though, in negotiating with the NDIS to create a basic plan, a model plan for someone with MND that addresses their needs today as well as their prospective needs for the next 12 months. Uh And by doing that, we're attempting to reduce legislative appeals to uh, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal or whoever. We're trying to reduce the number of plan reviews that go in place. And we're also trying to reduce the number of replanning exercises as people progress. That has been reasonably successful. We still have planners in uh, the NDIS that don't like and want to exercise their own judgment 
Um, we've seen planners overriding decisions of therapists when that plan is not a therapist. But in the main, uh, we've got that in place. So for example, someone with motor neurone disease who needs assistive technology can have and purchase a bundle of equipment through the NDIS from MND associations that will supply all the equipment that they need for 12 months for a fixed right. price. But how does that work? Because you mentioned before that the average life expectancy post-diagnosis is only 27 months. So a lot must change in a 12 months. How can you possibly plan 12 months ahead in such a rapidly changing disease? When we've had uh, 25 years of experience that I've seen... So it's fairly predictable? We've got a fair idea of how people will progress and what they'll need through that, mm -hmm. that progression. What changes is the time that that takes. Yeah. So by building a 12-month plan, we, we project at where people are going to be up to as far as their uh, assistive technology or personal care needs, um, their communication devices, perhaps transport, whatever it might be, to ensure that um, we can cover the bulk of their needs. Yes, if, if an individual moves away from that trajectory as we've seen it, they can go back in and we, we help in identifying that change and go back into NDIS to get another plan. Mm -hmm. But in the main, a 12-month plan works really well. Okay. Can I ask a question? Because you and I have had um, numerous contacts over decades around information services. Yep. Reaching people with a disability with the message that we need to reach them with, and you know this better than I do, but often the services, the cohort-specific services, so Down Syndrome Association, Motor Neurone Disease Association, Cerebral Palsy Association, Cerebral Palsy Association, those organisations, I, I don't want to name anyone in particular, but a lot of them in general have difficulty accessing their client population and getting them active members or active users of the situation. You're involved in Disability Information Victoria, or we competed for that tender many years ago, and it was a total flop in reaching people with disabilities with the information they need. On your website, you say you've got a 95% market penetration with MND. To be clinical and almost cruel about it, with the three-year turnover of the people with whom you're working with, that's three times as hard as working with people who are with services for longer. So hopefully some public servants are listening and people that are trying to provide information services. How do we successfully provide information to people with disability? Well, for starters, I don't think you can take a one-brush paints all. Uh, for motor neurone disease, um, we look at information as being a two-phase process. First phase is general information that you can read, you can get off the website, someone can hand you a brochure, uh, you might get it off any source. The second phase is making that relevant to the individual and that requires me talking to you face to face where I can see your living circumstances and build that information into a relevant tool for you. But how do you find me? Well. In MND, we've got a reputation for finding nearly everybody. How? Well, we've built up a reputation. We've built up so a, a brand referral. brand that people recognise. And people are coming to you. People are coming to us. But more importantly, the vast majority of our referrals come directly from health professionals and neurologists. And they're not going to do that if they don't trust you. Correct. So we've had to build a, a relationship based on doing. 
You know, when we say we will do X, we do X. We don't stuff around and take time to do stuff because I think part of the issue and and what makes MND easier, if there is such a, a term, is that we know we have to work quickly. We have to get information into people and then help them assimilate it for their circumstances quickly because they are progressing as we're talking to them. So you don't stuff around? We don't stuff around. Evie, I wonder if you could just quote the Sally thing about reliability. So Sally Coddington, who is one of our consultants, um, she is a parent of a child with a disability and she talks about the marketing messages that a lot of service providers have, which is around will help you live your best life and achieve all your dreams and you'll be so independent. It's very, very high-level stuff. And her thing is, well, if you can't show up when you say you're going to show up, if I have to have a cancelled shift every other week and I can't count on you to pick up my daughter from school when you say you're going to, then don't even start the conversation with me about goals and dreams and aspirations because if I'm still scared about what's going to happen this afternoon when you show up, we can't begin that expansive conversation. And I think the same has to be true for health professionals too. They're not going to refer to an information service, a support service, any kind of service, unless they're confident the person they're referring them to will get some reliability. And so often they don't. They do from us. Yeah. And I, and I think that is partially because one of the key services that we provide is assistive technology. Mm-hmm. Now, the major provider of assistive technology in this state, apart from paying for it yourself is SWEP mm-hmm. and the history of statewide equipment pro- the statewide equipment program in the disability arena is um, how not do I great. be polite <laughs> not great yeah not great's a good way to describe it um, generally slow uh, complicated by a number of factors it's not fully funded so people have to contribute so they've got to find money yeah. there's a slow uh, prescription process which involves trial then it's for complex equipment it's about ordering purchasing and supplying which slows everything down if i've got if someone wants an electric wheelchair you know you could probably guesstimate that someone's going to take through the statewide program six to nine months if it's in our stock for four days yeah it's in their hands so I think, you know, when we talk about getting referrals from allied health professionals, our equipment service stands as our frontline service. In terms of referrals okay. from neurologists, yep. they know we will, our goal is to see every person newly diagnosed within two weeks of that diagnosis, no matter where they are. It's so we- cool, right? So at DSC late last year, we put a call out looking for providers who we could give some awards to because we get a lot of bad news in the sector and we wanted to really have some good news stories. So we put the call out and asked the sector to nominate providers who were doing things a little bit differently. And we gave our award in the category of NDIS organisational transition to MND New South Wales, the MND Association of New South Wales. And they were recommended by an occupational therapist, I think she was, who worked for a partner organisation who said that MND New South Wales had made her job so much easier, that the advocacy that they'd been doing for their participants was phenomenal and most of all they'd created an equipment loan pool because we know that for many people with MND the equipment needs that they have change very quickly and they're also fairly expensive and so when it comes time to planning 
to when it t- comes time to go to the planning meeting and justify why a ten thousand piece of a ten thousand dollar piece of equipment is needed for three, six, twelve months, that can be a very difficult conversation. So we understand that MND New South Wales has created an equipment pool to get over firstly the the conversation that has to happen to convince the planner to fund it. But secondly, as you've just pointed out, the time barriers that are usually at play when it has to go through that formal planning purchase process. So we've been operating an equipment loan service as New South Wales, MND New South Wales have for about 37 years. Okay. So this is not something new. You know, when organisation, MND organisations first formed, they sat down and said, what do our people need? first thing they needed was information because there was nothing. When I was interviewed for my job, I went to the Q library and there was nothing between motorcycle and motor vehicle. So, you know, it wasn't well known. So information was crucial to start with. The second thing people wanted was assistive technology. Oh, I've got a wheelchair that's no longer being used. Would someone else like it? And that grew into a loan model and which under the marketised environment of the NDIS, we've converted to a higher model. Cool. So our higher model in Victoria, for example, uh, supplying uh, uh, disability aids and equipment to probably about 400 people. What sort of stuff? You name it, we've probably got it, except for communication devices. But we tried, I was at Euroa, I was, I mean, we set up a tender, we won one, you were... One yeah. of our competitors, and we were glad you won. Yeah, <laughs> and um, so we set up this equipment um, recycling scheme, and what we ended up with was a whole lot of broken shit that um, we had to dump and store, and we lost yeah. a lot of money doing it. So, what and were we doing wrong? Well, for starters, you were we were collecting equipment from people who used it for years and years and years, and when it was no good to them anymore, they gave it to us. They gave it back to you, and and <laughs> statewide equipment program or. PADP, Program of Aids for Disabled People, would then buy them a new one. We can get 10 years out of an electric wheelchair, but that might be eight different users. Wow. We're not seeing that anywhere else. No. No. Well, it's happening in other other states in M&D. Sorry, Sorry, yeah. But not anywhere else. So the other... The other part of this story that I've heard is that the NDIA has been very responsive, that it's a bit unusual to have this kind of equipment pool, how it goes into plans is not totally traditional, and that the NDIA have actually been very active partners in working with organisations to make this work. So what I'm hearing from what you're saying and from what we've heard about um, the success of that M&D New South Wales model is that there's something about M&D and the way that it rapidly progresses that means you can't really afford to not do a good job, to get things done right away. And and what I'm wondering is, is there any way to replicate that model in, in other sectors? But I want to make this a, a double-barreled or even more complex question because most people from outside the disability sector, and I, see, I think a very significant portion of the younger policymakers in the current disability sector, do not understand the heterogeneity of the sector. The two people with motor neurone disease may have quite different needs, but they're certainly going to have very different needs to a young person with cerebral palsy, a person with mental health issues. And I think we're missing a lot of the nuances, and you touched on them before when you said, well, you can't take a single brush to these issues. So can we answer Evie's question, can we replicate that and do it better, but can you also acknowledge the heterogeneity as you go? Look, the model that we're using in MND New South Wales and other MND associations, including Victoria, is based on the fact that people only use equipment for a relatively short time. Yeah. To recover equipment 
and refurbish it. It has to be fundamentally sound to yep. start with yep. and not worn out. And not customised either. And not customised. But I guess where I'm coming where I'm, I'm coming from is not just about the equipment pool, but just the nature of the organisation of, of having the urgency to respond and then the capability to do so. Mm. Short of making everybody else's disability needs more urgent, which I mean they are, frankly, they're just not changing as fast as many others. I think that urgency has a price. Yeah. And that price is not being met by the National Disability Insurance Scheme in terms of the hourly rates for service. Mm -hmm. But also there's the complexity of families wanting to be in control of what's happening. That takes time. Uh, Education and support of families takes time. Um, I I think that the notion of a single brush service uh, is never going to work as I said before. You've got to look at what are the unmet needs of the person and how can they be addressed. Rod, I I want to finish with a a question and it's probably a a bit of an angsty one for me personally, but you would have had the opportunity to bail from a smaller information support and advocacy organisation and jump into a big CEO role, which is what I did. And I still sometimes look back and think that was the happiest I ever was. Why did I choose that career path? Why didn't you ever go for the bigger salary? And let's also um, finish with what are you most proud of in your 25 years with MND Victoria? Yeah, first off, don't think because people run small organisations they're working on low salaries. Okay, cool. And your jobs have just been advertised if anybody's... Exactly. Has it closed? Uh, It has. Okay, sorry. Um, Look, why didn't I leap? I have to be honest, when I started at MND, I was undergoing some... I suppose, employment rehabilitation to get myself back into disability and back into organisations. And I thought, three years and I'll jump and find something better. My board was smarter than me. Uh, within three years, they'd sent me overseas for a couple of weeks to look at MND services in England. The following year, they sent me to our international conference. They were so convincing about how good I was, which I didn't feel good, at working with this field, I traded in a significant pay rise to, in return for them sending me to the international conference yep. every year in the future. Yep. They supported me to go on the board of the international organisation. They supported me to be the chairman of the international organisation. They, in a word, sucked me in. <laughs> and I'm so glad that they did because I've learnt more uh, about myself and about people I've met some of the best people in the world. And you're uh, most proud of? What I'm most proud of? Oh, look, I think I'm most proud of taking an organisation that was on the cusp of going out of business to one now that can withstand the ups and downs of the NDIS and can de- keep delivering services for people with motor neurone disease. And we've done that we're not exceeding 20% of our of government funding of our total budget and by actually trying to reduce the amount of money we've got from government because that leaves us powerful. It does. No one can tell us what to do. Well, thank you for being a great guest, Rod Harris. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Rod. You've been listening to the podcast from Disability Services Consulting. Evie, do we do consulting? I don't know. <laughs> we get that question a lot. Do you do consulting? And it's like disability services consulting and training and training so we do a lot of consulting and training we'd love to hear from you and if you like our podcast you'll probably like our consulting and training even more 
You can subscribe to our podcast by following the link in the show notes or on our website, disabilityservicesconsulting.com.au. We also publish a stellar newsletter, if I do say so myself. It is pretty wonderful. Stop it. (laughs) 